There were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest, has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Hi, and welcome to this month's episode of Flicking, the series in which we talk about each other's favourite films and try not to break any hearts, not saying anything kindergarten hop. <laughs> okay, I am joined by, as ever, Mickey. Hello. And Yosra Osman. Hello, Yosra. Hello. Before I start, I just want to ask you something, Yosra, because you made a promise that you were going to the cinema the last time we spoke to you. And I, I, I was looking for a review, not so much of what you saw, but of your experience of being in the cinema. Yes, I went to see Tenet. Oh, it was a couple of weeks ago now. And it's the first and only time actually this year <laughs> since lockdown started that I've been to the cinema. And actually it was handled very, very well, I have to say. So masks on pretty much everywhere. When you go get your tickets and your popcorn. No nachos, by the way. Couldn't have any of the nachos that I really Aww. wanted, which is sad. I feel happy for the other people in the cinema though, because <laughs> they smell terrible. It's funny you say that though, because once you're in the screening, you're sat very far away from everyone else. Everyone was very distanced from each other, obviously. So I feel like I could have got away with the nachos if they'd let me, but no nachos. There were screens for pretty much when you're being served, getting your tickets and your bits and pieces. And it was actually quite a decent experience. I won't go into the film because that was an interesting experience, but being <laughs> in the cinema was okay. I actually have to admit I have not been since, but I think that's more down to sort of choice of films out at the moment and just in general restricting how much I leave the house, that kind of thing. I'm sorry. Just to just to break in here, we <laughs> thought we had time because Hannah's cats were eating, so we thought we'd have a little break in recording where there would be no cats' asses in front of microphones. But Joan is determined to, to on, get involved. Joan. Go on, go somewhere else, <laughs> just anywhere. I don't care. There's a whole cat house. interlude. There's cat a, interlude. There is a whole house, and yet she wants to be where I am. <laughs> it's a compliment, really. Okay, this month's choice was yours, Mickey. Do you want to tell us what it is and why? Yes, I picked 1984's Ghostbusters, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and directed by Ivan Reitman, the biggest comedy of the 1980s and a film with which I've been besotted since I first saw it when I was a scaredy cat seven-year-old. 36 years on, it remains eminently watchable, quotable, smart as paint and funny as fuck. And you might think I'm overshooting here, but I even think it still looks good. Mostly. Mostly. The big light show at the end, not so much. But watching it again last night for the... I don't know. I don't want to exaggerate, but probably four millionth time. <laughs> I still love every single second of it. Apart from the one where after Bankman's knocked Dana out because she's zooled up and growling, he kisses her on her exposed collarbone. Blah, but more on that later. So the plot... For anyone who might have been living in a vacuum, three parapsychologists, Peter Venkman, played by a film-stealing Bill Murray, Ray Stantz, played by Dan Aykroyd, and Egon Spengler, played by Harold Ramis, get chucked out of Columbia University for their money-wasting boondoggling, and go on to fight a series of spooks, spectres, and ghosts for cash, before saving New York from a Sumerian god Goza and a hundred-foot marshmallow man accidentally summoned to destroy the city. I would like to know, before I kick off with why busting makes me feel good, 
when did you first see Ghostbusters? And I'm going to start with Dunleavy because I know there's a story there. There's a anecdote. Yeah, there's a story so much so that it's there's a couple of things about Ghostbusters and we will go into it. There's a couple of things about Ghostbusters that I am unable to separate from certain things, one of which is what happened when they made a female Ghostbusters. But primarily, the thing that I find it quite hard to separate from is that it was the first thing that I ever saw at the cinema by myself, aged 10, I'm going to say. I didn't start off in the cinema by myself. What happened was my nan, who lived up the road from us, rang me to say that my cousin was staying with her. He was about five and that she would give me the money to go to the cinema if I would take him with me. I mean, I don't know how social services weren't called, but that's a different question. (laughs) I don't think she knew what was on at the cinema. I don't think that was a thing. I think she just generically, they would just go to the cinema. But of course, in those days, we had a one screener. Uh, It was called the Electra. It no longer uh, exists in Newport Pagnell. But um, it's, so we went along there. Why we were allowed in, age 10 and 5, to see Ghostbusters, I don't know. Well, interestingly, it was a PG, which I think meant you should have had a parent with you rather than just sending you to it. Yeah. But it is now a 12, so that has shifted. Yeah, even so, we were both too young to be in, yeah. too, too young to be in there. <laughs> we went in, we sat down, we ate whatever sweets our nan had like, grabbed out of the cupboard for us, and it started. And within, I'd say, about a minute and a half, it's the library ghost that did it, my cousin and I'm going to have to apologise to him again because he really doesn't like me telling this story in public. (laughs) Absolutely lost his shit. Like, completely went batshit. And I didn't really know what to do about it and I was quite liking the film. So I just sort of sat there while he went batshit until we were asked to leave. (laughs) And then I walked him back to my nan's house and uh, she opened the front door with the look of uh, a woman who was planning an afternoon doing something else. I don't know, sleeping, praying, probably. No, my nan. And, uh, and she was like, what's going on? And I said, oh, he didn't like it. <laughs> Which you could clearly tell because he was like just sobbing and, you know, touching his willy as little boys do when they're really upset. Again, Chris, I'm really sorry. And um, my nan opened the door and my cousin went in. And then I started to go in and she said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm coming in, Nan. And she said, I paid for two children to watch that film. One of you is going back to watch it. And I was sent back to watch the rest of Ghostbusters on my own. (laughs) And it remains the reason that I don't understand why people won't go to the cinema by themselves. Because I went by myself from a pretty young age (laughs) after that. If nobody wanted to go with me, I would just go by myself. I think it's really telling that while you were narrating that story, I was giggling, which, you know, obviously the listeners will have heard. And yet Yosra looked mortified, like she was wishing she could phone social services in the past. (laughs) I was just thinking about your poor cousin, actually. But one thing, because of of the experience, but also you telling the story (laughs) as well. I wrote about a 3,000 word essay on it once. And um, yeah, he didn't talk to me for about a year after that. Um, yeah I mean it's perfectly reasonable the the strangest thing about it is both he and I were very windy and I mean that in a you know scared not in a gassy um (laughs) very windy children so it was really the worst idea but it was one of the things that was central to me being less scared in a lot of ways it toughened me up because I'd been to the cinema by myself and seen a film with ghosts in it and I was okay 
Did it make you more able to watch the Castrol GTX advert? No, that's still freaking terrifying. It's that music. At least Ghostbusters had good music. I mean, it's absolutely gold, gold standard of theme songs, I believe, still now. Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters. But anyway, maybe we're going off topic. Yosra, when did you first see it? So the thing is, I actually can't remember when I first saw it. I know I was a child and I feel like it's one of those films that I'd only ever, I've never actually seen the whole, well, until a certain point, I'd never seen the whole thing. I'd seen bits of it. I hadn't seen it at the cinema or anything. I'd only ever seen it on telly. And I know I've definitely seen it as a child. And then I saw it again, I think, when the remake slash reboot came out. When was that? Was that four or five years ago now? I think it was 2015, I think. Something like that, no, yeah. Yeah, it's 2015, yeah. Yeah, so, and then I saw it again then. And then I must say, it, it <laughs> it's one of those films that you get just flashbacks of when you're a child because when I was a child, I was really terrified of the Marshmallow Man. And when I watched it again a few years, I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> what? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> like watching it back. Both he's of you. so smiley. But I know, but he's, t- he's big. <laughs> like, <laughs> from a few years ago when I rewatched it and then again when I rewatched it just yesterday, the <laughs> Marshmallow Man came on and I just thought, God, that thing is still really terrifying to me. Still it's somewhere in my collective like memory it's there is something that I'm really scared of perhaps did because you... he's so nice and smiley that it's just a bit weird that he's terrorizing the city did you Pretty start touching your willy <laughs> <laughs> not quite not quite <laughs> he, he makes me sad because he looks so upset when he gets set on fire <laughs> so I, like, I know it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous but that marshmallow man freaks me out still to this day fair enough fair enough so until watching it for flicking when was the last time you'd seen it hannah me well it's probably at least a decade ago because I haven't seen it since I saw the remake of Ghostbusters. I haven't seen it since then. So probably when it was on the telly, I don't know. I've never owned it on DVD or anything. So it must have just been on the telly once, but at, at least a decade, I would say. Yosra? So it, it was just before I uh, watched the remake. That was the last time I'd seen it before watching it for flicking. So we'll find out what you think about it in a little while. But I'm going to explain why I still really, really love it. And I'm going to start with a few caveats, which is, yes, it is an absolute testosterone fest with only two real roles for women. But Sigourney Weaver is immense as Dana Barrett. And I love that in her audition, she didn't do a speaking part. She did the bit where she turned into a dog and didn't say anything. And that's what got her the job. Love that. And Annie Potts as Janine Melnitz. She is really underused here, but gets to have more fun in Ghostbusters 2, which, in case you're asking, is still rated. Yeah, still love that too. The central romantic relationship between Murray and Weaver is, you know, it's quite flimsy, isn't it? But they do, when they get moments where they're actually talking, get to zing off each other. And I guess we have to remember that he is a very funny man and they are hard to resist, right? Also, I'm going to take some comfort from the fact that, really unusually, Sigourney Weaver is the same age as Bill Murray and was, in fact, 40 when they filmed Ghostbusters and Bill Murray was only 39. So that was, you know, that's a little bit against the curve. Hi, Joan. She's back. Oh my God, I'm sorry. Just please go away. That interlude. 
cat interlude. Maybe she's seen a ghost. They are very aware of them. What you can't see is that every second that my hands aren't on the screen, I'm trying to push her away. And, <laughs> and it's just I'm not I'm so working. glad you've described what you're actually doing, mate. Because I was a little bit, <laughs> maybe Hannah's scared. I was going to say, yeah, what's she, <laughs> what's she touching? Well, it's called flicking, but, you know. It's an interlude for you guys. It's a full-time occupation for me. <laughs> Another caveat, obviously some of the effects look decidedly shonky these days, particularly when they get to the big bad at the end, although they were absolutely state-of-the-art in 1984. But, you know, you could imagine Ghostbusters without the special effects, and it still works because it isn't really about the ghosts, which are mainly played for comic relief. Like the grin on Mr. Stapos' face as he rains down Armageddon, I find a delight, even though obviously it scares Yosra. Sorry, mate. Uh, the more of hell is in a fridge, and Slimer with a gob full of hot dogs. Who doesn't love that? It's comedy gold. And even the shitty keck, Scary Ghost in the Library, who is still terrifying to this day, just wants to read a book in fucking peace. So doing this flicking about Ghostbusters made me realise that my main reason for loving it isn't actually dissimilar for my reason for loving Jaws, which is, as an only child, I was clearly fairly lonely because the real joy of it for me is the sweet chemistry and friendship between are unlikely heroes. So Egon is the brains, Ray the heart, Venkman the mouth slash penis, and later Winston Zedmore, played by Ernie Hudson, the sceptic turned believer. And it's just an ode to friendship, I think, made even better by the actual off-screen friendships between Ackroyd and Ramis and Ackroyd and Murray that shine through. All right, Mickey here with an advert for better health therapy online. You all right? Such a small question, and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression, and while over time, and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Why fit it? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution, in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. I have a point to make on that. And again, this is one of the things that I find it now difficult to separate Ghostbusters 
uh, from just watching it from from other stuff. And that is that I read an interview with Ernie Hudson once and he claimed that making Ghostbusters was a really horrible time for him and that they all right. hang around in a gang and didn't include him. Oh no. Yeah. Which feels like it's replicated a little bit in Ghostbusters. Mm. Like yeah. the, the the big problem with Ghostbusters, and I'm hoping that we're gonna talk about this, is probably Winston's character, which is basically pointless. Yeah. It feels very token. He doesn't feel like really part of the gang at all. In it it really sticks out and actually watching it again recently as in yesterday um that's the thing that really jumped out at me it was just kind of yeah tokenism there for their sake but doesn't really add anything to the story or to the relationships between the main characters which i thought was a a big shame to be honest yeah Yeah. and that that did actually slightly let the film down for me along with some slightly predatory behavior on the part of a couple of the characters but um yeah not that you know still love the film but that really stuck out to me on a rewatch Seven-year-old me was a terrible feminist. Uh, I've allowed her to, to live still deep inside when I watch Ghostbusters. Ernie Hudson does get a bit more to do in Ghostbusters 2, but I don't think enough to make amends, to be honest with you. So, yeah, it is probably the biggest problem that and Venkman. So what are your other thoughts? Lay them on me. Well, it's just good fun, isn't it? It's just so much fun to watch, but it's it's ridiculous. So I was sitting there watching it thinking, God, this is just so silly, but still loving it. And in a weird way, you can still see that there's a real respect for sort of science fiction and, and everything behind it. That does come through, despite all the tomfoolery, which is just about everywhere. And it's really fun. I just, I, I got... I got really stuck into it again. And the jokes, there are some just really funny jokes in it that yeah. they stand the test of time, really. Um, so, yeah, good, a good laugh. <laughs> really good fun for me. It's interesting what you say about the science thing and the fact that it's it's respectful. It's it's really gently geeky, but with that respect. Yeah. It's Dan Aykroyd, because he's the writer. Yeah. And apparently his great-grandfather, Samuel A. Aykroyd, was a noted 19th century psychic investigator. Wow. So there's some family heritage there for Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, I was ambivalent, I have to say. I was deeply, deeply ambivalent to it. Apologies, um, because I know you love it. And I think how, how you could tell how ambivalent I was from it, which given that it was something that, you know... So, so I was 11, so everybody saw it at school. It, it had a shelf life. It was still the sort of thing that people talked about years afterwards. You know, it would be on the telly. Everybody would get very excited. And I probably saw a dozen times because, you know, there wasn't much on telly. So you just continued watching it. But what struck me was how little of it had made its way into my vocabulary. The only thing that I can ever remember saying from Ghostbusters in my life is, I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. That is, I think, the only t- the only thing I've ever quoted from Ghostbusters. Whereas other films that were contemporaneous, say, for example, Trading Places, I mean, that was totally in my vocabulary. I used it all the time. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know that I ever truly loved it. And I didn't really... I, I was ambivalent. It's not, it's not a bad film. It's just, it looked... You know, I bought a new telly a few months ago. And now I have a big telly. And I felt like I was watching it on a big telly in as much as 
I felt like things were clearer to me than they had been previously on it, if that makes sense. Everything right. seemed a bit sharper. Everything seemed a bit in more sharp relief, the sexism of it and the lack of female characters and the lack of diversity and all of the flaws that perhaps you don't notice when you're younger seems more and I don't mean flaws like the, what the ghosts look like because that it's 1984 they're not going to look as great as they would now that's absolutely fine but I just found it really um yeah I was I was ambivalent I think if I never watched Ghostbusters again I'd be all right with that but I will say and I repeat it again when it plays Ghostbusters it is absolutely fucking motoring it is like just great that is such a great theme tune for is theme tune the right word because it's not theme tune but you know as well what it's what will smith has based most of his career on <laughs> that is. Um, it is absolutely like i say gold standard i don't think it's been bettered cinematic is the word it is it is totally made it wouldn't it wouldn't stand up as a song on its own i'm not sure but within the film it's amazing it's great and it's one of those things that everyone knows and you just need to hear the first couple of beats and you're in you're sold so no it's a great one I was just thinking actually in terms of watching the film this is kind of a random comment but one thing I did think actually while I was watching it it's one of those films now I think I wouldn't really choose to watch it sitting on my own thinking what am I going to watch tonight I think it's one of those films that's weirdly just better watched with a group of people and you kind of experience it and kind of have those laughs together it's 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 not one of those that I think I could just sit and watch on my own on a Friday night kind of thing mm. it's got that kind of experience vibe to it she says in inverted commas because the listeners can't see that <laughs> I know what you mean it is like it's a social film yeah. in that way but I guess because it's been it's been comfort food for the eyes and ears for me for so long that I will quite happily like it's particularly if I'm I'm not in a, a good mental space or I just need to sort of switch off when it's so familiar and you can just watch it and not have to think at all. And I know that the lines will still make me laugh and I'll still feel like I'm among friends. I can watch that, then Ghostbusters 2. And now the Ghostbusters remake in a row and have a lovely yeah. few hours. And then they're all great to watch. In fact, I, I remember writing a review for the Ghostbusters remake for Standard Issue yeah. a few years ago. And I remember actually my ex said it was too immature and militant feminist. <laughs> said I oh, really... I'm so glad he's your ex. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, that's just come to my mind. And I'm like, there you go, ex, underline that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the mad thing about it. And like I say, that will have undoubtedly tainted my opinion of this was the sort of man that defended this and the way that he defended it. And by defended it, I mean argued against there being a remake of it. That I just thought... I'd, I, it's a bit like Bernie Sanders, who I like a lot more when he's not... I like Bernie Sanders through my eyes. When I see him through the eyes of his supporters, I don't like it. So I feel like there's a slight bit like that with Ghostbusters, if that makes sense. Yeah, I remember being nervous when they were doing the remake. I was nervous because anything that builds itself as being female-fronted just gets shit anyway, which mm. isn't how the world should work. But I was I was nervous because it is such a cult classic, and I I wondered why they wanted to remake it. But I really love the remake. I think it is absolutely astonishing. And obviously, the, the special effects are much better <laughs> in the remake than they are from 1984. I love 
the effects in the first one it's another one of those things that I'm watching it laughing at them because they're just so silly but it, it just adds to the parcel of Ghostbusters I don't know that it, there's something really charming about it they had to put it together really really quickly to get it out as a summer blockbuster in the June of 1984 and they were making up special effects as they went along because nothing had been like that before where you slam comedy and sci-fi and sfx together and there's a bit where slimer is going round and round the chandelier and they couldn't get it to work so the sfx guy just sprayed a peanut green and then just sort of made it spin and so when you see it that's just a green peanut uh, which which i love i'm gonna watch would, it again now <laughs> would you like a couple of other fun facts yeah. even though you're left cold hannah but i i, I would say tepid like i say okay. it's it's not i didn't hate it I just didn't get a wash of nostalgia with it. But I, like I say, it's led me to question how much I actually liked it in the first place. Fair enough. And like I say, you do have to remember the first time I saw it, it was about something entirely different than actually watching the film. It was about, it was about me and everything. <laughs> your first experience was a better story than the film for you because oh, it, yes. it was your story. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the one-sentence pitch for Ghostbusters was... Ghost janitors in New York. That's how they sold it. Director Ivan Reitman estimated that Dan Aykroyd's original Overexcitable, that was supposed to be a serious film, would have cost $300 million to shoot, as opposed to the $30 million that they actually spent on Ghostbusters, which was still considered really steep at the time. Bill Murray wasn't even meant to be in the film. I'm sure you guys know this. It's quite a famous one. Dan Aykroyd wrote the Venkman character for his big pal John Belushi, but Belushi died before it could be made. However, the cheeky green ghost that we all love, Slimer, is a homage to Belushi, who apparently used to eat food off other people's room service trays left in hotel hallways. And uh, Rick Moranis, who I fucking love and is a comic genius, provided his own wardrobe for the character of misfit accountant Lewis Tully. There are my Ghostbusters fun facts. Great. They're great. You're right about Predatory Venkman, though. I must say that I was relieved when I watched it last night because I knew we were going to talk about it for Standard Issue. I was like, oh, shit, and I'd been revisiting it in my head. And he is creepy and he is pushy. But I'd forgotten how much Dana was just like, no. And even though a woman shouldn't have to be like, okay, I'm just going to say yes, so you leave my apartment. She's in control until she's possessed by a demon. Um, And then it all does get a bit creepy. Yeah, I found him to be that's that's the my if I was gonna isolate a problem with Ghostbusters, it is Venkman, definitely. But he's also the best character. I agree with you. He's also the, he's got the best lines. He does have the best lines. Yeah, he take the predatory the behavior lines. away. He's got some good jokes. Yeah, but yeah, no, I agree with you, Hannah. But I still love it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, feminists. I'm sorry, standard issue. I'm sorry, Sarah. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Let's quickly move on to Yosra's choice for next time. Yosra, what are we watching? Right, eh? I don't know when we're going to meet up to talk about the next film, but I'm hoping it sort of fits seasonally because of how much of a shit show 2020 has regressed back to my childhood and pick one of my favourite films from childhood. And I've decided to go with The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is one of my all-time favourite films. Fits with Halloween, fits with Christmas. Just going to be great. I love it. That's what I've picked. Standard issue. 
for all women.